You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Thanks for listening to the uh, Burley Church of Christ podcast. And and just before the podcast starts, we'd just like to invite you to, uh, if you've been enjoying the podcast or you enjoy the ministry of Burley Heads Church of Christ, we'd love you to consider participating in our Miracle Month over the month of September. It's a month where we look at trying to extend the table, as we say, through radical generosity. And so if you'd like to give towards our Miracle Month appeal, uh, the various projects and the appeal can be found on bcc.org.au. And a way to give online can be found there. Enjoy the podcast this morning and, and hope you're having a great day. Hebrews 4, we're in a series called Jesus is Better Than. We, um, I kind of feel like today is not the end of the series, but is the end of the section in this part of Hebrews. And the writer now goes on to encourage the church. So he spends this first part telling you about Jesus, reaffirming that you understand Jesus, and then he tells you, goes on from there. And so the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about perseverance. We've got a guest preacher next week, Lee Ellsmore. The week after that, Samal is going to bring us these messages on perseverance. Through Hebrews, still the same series, but there's kind of a climax here of this finish, talking about Jesus is better than, um, this theology, I guess. And so, but what I want to do to start off today, I want to paint a picture, I want to tell some stories about what's going on out there. Not the car park. (laughs) What's going on in Burley? What's going on in Australia? I want to tell a story, yes, a little bit about the current generation, but I want to tell you a story about the things they've seen because this passage speaks straight to it. Let me give you some thoughts. Just reflect on these thoughts and think, what does that do in a generation? What does that do in multiple generations as I tell you these things? So... Divorce rates peaked in the 1970s and continued to rise until the last few years, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, so most generations growing up, 52% had parents that split up. Now, this is not a guilt thing. This has nothing to do with that. This is just a, a fact that if you're a kid that grew up in that time, from that time, the closest people to you broke some sort of trust, even right or wrong, doesn't matter, you would have felt that internally. There's a trust broken in the family unit that could have been. And 52%, not much different inside the church. So, In 1998, the President of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, got up and he said he did not have an affair. We all know that he did because he got up later on and said he did. Imagine that, the most powerful man in the world got up and lied to all generations. Let that sink in. In recent, um, there's been unclassified documentation around wars and certain things that have gone on, and some of the things that were known as conspiracy theories of the time have come out actually half-truth in them. It turns out the government, politicians, not all of it, but some of it was corrupt. Some of the ideas and, and, and philosophies behind it were, and as they come unclassified, we realise, hang on, there wasn't the full story that we were getting. And I don't want to go into a lecture on this, but even money, <laughs> I was talking to a couple of guys about this a couple of weeks ago, even money is make-believe. 
When you hand someone a $20 piece of paper, you just believe it's worth $20. So there's this faith-based system. You don't actually hand them $20 worth of gold. There's a bit of dishonesty around it. The whole system is this kind of shares go up and down because we believe it's a good company (laughs) or we don't. That's how it's a faith-based system. And so there's this distrust. The internet, I was a school teacher for a very, very short time of my life. And when I was on my prac, um, my teacher did the sex education talk with the class. And he was an older gentleman. And he said, it was way easier before the internet because we could just lie. We could just say, if you do this, you might die. That was way easier than saying facts because <laughs> it'd scare young 16-year-olds in, pro- in saving themselves, in protecting their body. It was a good motivation. But he goes, now these kids get on the internet and it turns out they won't die. It turns out not every single person this happens to. And so kids suddenly, and we did that same in church. In all churches, we used to use these big religious words. And now kids can get on the internet now and look up those big religious words and realise that sometimes we didn't even know what they meant. just sounded super cool as we said, like atonement or sanctification. They're great words, but we sort of say them to sound scholarly. Now kids can look that up. They can find exactly what that means and they can... Preaching has become incredibly hard because everyone can fact check, which is good. Can check everything I said. Can probably find someone on the internet with an opposing view to things I say. Think about what that does as the world opens up and people hear false, fake news, but also truth. It turns out in the last few years we've found Hollywood's corrupt. No big surprise. Nobody's shocked that the seedy guys and girls of Hollywood were corrupt. What we were surprised is we found out church was. And you may think that's another denomination that mostly has the problem. Yeah, no one outside knows what, no one outside knows what Church of Christ is versus Catholic of a certain generation. They do not, they don't know what that means. Um, and so they think we all were part of that. We weren't. But they think we were. The present generation, I'm talking possibly everyone in this room, but I'm especially talking what is walking the streets of Burley Heads at the moment. Don't trust anyone, or they struggle to. Not even their parents, certainly not the experts, certainly not those in charge. So when we respond with, you should respect authority, And they should, don't get me wrong, they should. I completely understand why they go, why? Because their leaders, their parents, even their spiritual advisors lied, cheated, fell short. Because all sinners, right? It's not judgment. And even some were abused. That's why they don't commit. That's why for the first time in the last two years, marriage divorce rates have decreased. (laughs) not for a good reason, no one's getting married. (laughs) So they can't get divorced if you don't get married. And so it's because they're scared to commit to anything. It's why churches are closing, because here's the message of the church. Come commit to God, each other, and trust us. It's the exact opposite of everything they know. That's why churches across Australia, across not overseas, not in the East, they're flourishing, probably because of persecution, they have to, they know, but, but in the West, they don't trust us. So churches are closing their doors left, right and centre. Almost every couple of weeks I get an email and pray for this church. 
they're considering closing down. Because of this. Because it's not because God's not amazing, not because the message, because they struggle to commit and trust that in this season. And so it's funny when a church might even say, and we see this, oh, let's keep doing the same thing, hope that works, that won't get to this generation. And I'm not talking about just Josh, the young kids, I'm talking won't reach burly heads. I don't trust it. So what do I tell you this? Well, we're missionaries. There's an amazing opportunity here. We are missionaries in a brand new culture. If I was a missionary in Vanuatu, I'd think, what does the culture do? What is it about? What's it think? How can we tell the story of Jesus to that culture? I'm a missionary in Burley Heads Church of Christ. I realise that 90% of the people out there don't trust us. What can we do? We're missionaries. What can we change? What can we give up? What can we sacrifice in order to reach them? Don't get me wrong. The church is incredible. No, and when I say church, church, <laughs> no, I'm not talking about his specifically. I'm talking about the invention that is God's, the global church. The church is amazing. The church is worthy of our trust in a sense that it's changed the face of the planet. Feeding the poor, adopting the parentless, the video we just saw, starting hospitals, schools and universities. Every leading non-profit, like the top five I think it is, are Christian. James confirmed me the other day, I said it as a joke, and then he confirmed that Christians kind of invented chocolate, or at least were the first to market it. So there's a lot of good things the church has done. <laughs> Plus the millions, if not billions, over history whose lives have changed thanks to Jesus. But they're not talking about that outside, so it's all well and good, we know that. They don't trust us. They won't listen to that even if we tried to tell them. So why do I paint this picture, this encouraging picture this morning? So you can hear my heart firstly. That having dinner with your neighbour is perhaps more important in 2019 than telling them to go to church. That week, I'm not saying eventually. They need to see the church. They need to see Christ in you before they can trust what you're introducing them to. Doesn't mean it's not great. Doesn't mean the gospel can't change someone then and there. I'm not saying that. It happens but we need to be missionaries and understand our mission field. And we need to show them Christ. Things like our food, this is why I've got on and on. Food bank, the op shop. We're loving them, showing them Christ, and then hopefully introducing them to the community that follows him. That's why, frustratingly, us and the leadership have reduced a lot of the formalities in our morning service at times. A lot of the unexplained things that you may think, oh, why don't we do that anymore? If we didn't explain it, it didn't make sense to anyone else but those in the room. Um, let me give you an example. We need to be transparent. We're teaching, sorry, we're teaching this generation how to be the church, how to do church, what church is, where we used to just be able to invite them to it and they knew it. They knew what was expected. So that's the first reason. The second reason is... This is the cultural climate of the book that we're reading right now. They're amongst Greek philosophers. They're, all these new ideas are coming in everywhere, left, right. People are going, your truth is your... You think the idea of subjective truth where someone says, James, that's good for you, that's your truth, but my truth is this. You think that's a new thing? <laughs> these philosophers invented that thing. They invented the idea around subjective truth. And so... Th 
The writer of Hebrews speaks directly to this. How cool. 2,000 years later, speaks directly to Burley Heads and Burley Heads Church of Christ. So that's why we're speaking about it. So Jesus is better than. So question to ask yourself as we work through this scripture. Question to ask yourself. In a world that doesn't trust anything, but we can't help ourselves because we're born to worship, we're created to worship, Christian or non-Christian, we're created to trust something. So what is it for you? What or who do you place your trust in? Let it sink in. I know the correct answer is Jesus, but let's, you got that bit right, now go to B. What, B, what do you trust or put your place in? When you have an issue, a question, a dilemma, a query, who do you call, who do you ask, who do you put your trust into? And then a cheeky little second question kind of on top of that is, how confident are you in that? How confident are you in that? I want us to reflect on this as we just make our way through this scripture this morning. So Hebrews 4.12, thank you so much, Emmy, for reading it. I'm going to just go back through it as we unpack it a little. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but we are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The writer tells us first and foremost to the church and to their generation that subjective truth, as mentioned, isn't a new idea. (laughs) The idea that there are no absolutes, man, you just do you, I'll do me, is not a new idea. This is him addressing it right now. That's a common Greek saying I've put here. Man, you just do you, I'll do me. Common Greek saying at the time. Not at all. Um, No one laughs and no one's heard that one. All right, I'll get better jokes. The writer here, first and foremost, wants the Christian community to know that there is an absolute truth in this universe. There is an absolute truth in this universe. There are things you can understand, you can be active with, that will cut through the garbage, he says. I love that. He says, cut through the joint into the marrow. As if, yes, there are grey areas, yes, there are truths in the world that are subjective, but... There are absolute truths at the core of it. There are truths that even if you're not a Christian, you know at the bottom of your heart there is something in my bones, he says. Something that could pierce through the garbage of this world. I believe, the writer here believes, and many of us here today believe that is Jesus, his ways, truth, and his life. How many politicians, celebrities, no matter how many salesmen trick us, we generally are still ready to put and trust something. We crave to know something deep down. We crave our bones sing for a truth that can be found. The writer points to someone and something is this truth. Yes, he's pointing. He's doing something clever here. Yes, he's pointing to the Torah, which is now made in full the Bible with a New and Old Testament. But in John, it says, the word of God has become flesh. So he's pointing to the Torah, the Bible, and Jesus the way Jesus walked, the way he lived, the truth he gave and the life he gave and lived and gives to you is the central, absolute, non-changing truth of this universe. 
Even gravity has changed lately. Someone, I was watching something recently. It was a debate between two scientists, and they're like, they're actually going, we're questioning the theory of gravity. It's still whatever, 9.18 metres per second, but they, their pool might not be Earth. It might be something else. Even gravity's not safe. This is an absolute truth. Well, at least the writer is telling us that. It's a transforming truth. Now, why do I say transforming truth? Because it's easy to fall into the trap. Truth is just knowledge. Our Father who art in heaven, holy be his name. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Every Christian kid in Sunday school memorises that. Every kid in the private Christian school memorises that. What good is it if I don't actually trust God for my daily bread? (laughs) What good is it if I actually don't want to see the kingdom come? What good is it if it doesn't actually change me? It's just nice words. It's powerless. Don't get me wrong, that's how you start on milk. There's nothing wrong starting there. Learn the Lord's Prayer. Recite it, but let it change you. I shouldn't be so aggressive towards it. It's an amazing prayer. But it's a prayer that Jesus gave, not so they could recite, but so they could see his worldview and let it change them, transform them. It's not an exam when you get to heaven. (laughs) I'm so sorry those that are well studied. Study's great, but you don't get extra marks. It's Jesus when you get to heaven. That's it. Still learn the Bible, learn its promises, stay in its word. That's what the writer's saying here, but let it change you. Let it seep in your bones. I love that. It's so descriptive. The word should open us up, make us vulnerable. It should reveal our brokenness. And Christ, the spirit, his word can be active in that or can be. The world is craving a truth like that, a truth that is active, not a dead recital. They're not interested in that. So why should we trust this though, Steve? That's great. Why should we trust this? Well, the the writer answers it. I don't have to, luckily, today. He says this in Hebrews 4.14. If you're reading along, 5.10, he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Great. Solved. End of sermon. I'm going to call the band up in a moment. Jesus, the high priest. If you're brand new today, you're going, thanks thanks for clearing all my questions up this morning. I'm ready to come down the front now. Jesus, the great high priest. That's his answer. Again, it's just words. Not helpful if we don't know what a high priest is. (laughs) not helpful if we don't know what Jesus is actually saying or what the writer is saying Jesus is. So let me take it a bit deeper and explain it because I don't think Jesus is a great high priest explains enough for us to hold fast to our confession this morning. Let me explain. The writer here wants to tell us, wants to tell us something he believes will help us hold tight in confidence to who we trust. He says, I know a truth, not just a truth, but the truth that will ease your unsureness. And then he says, great high priest. Don't turn off on this language yet. Let me explain. The great high priest, some of you will know what priests are, obviously. A high priest in the Old Testament Exodus time was someone who would take 
carry, I guess, all the sin and sacrifice the lamb in a tent that was at the centre of their city, what would become the temple. And in that tent was a place called the Holy of Holies. And so the great high priest was the only person that could enter God's presence and do business with God. Sacrifice the lamb on your behalf. Make a sacrifice on your behalf and was allowed to enter God's presence on your behalf. He had to go through all these rituals of washing and cleaning and, and, and getting himself ready for this. But the great high priest was their best hero of the time. The great high priest was the guy, the only person that got to speak or be in the presence of God. He was the expert. He was the hero. Side note, I love the fact that the early community, God was always trying to transform them, so he put himself in the middle of their town and said, I'm in the middle of everything. Side note, but I love God is constantly trying to tell us something. It's not just doing something without purpose. I'm in the middle. I just want to stir in the middle of who you are, God says. So that was the high priest. He'd wear the robes, he would go in through the festival, and he would sacrifice the lamb, and it would pay for their sin. It would pay for their disconnection. It would bring them back to God, the high priest. He was their man. He was the most sought after, I guess, position, the top guy in that community. The mediator between God and himself. He would have experienced and saw things that no one of that time has seen. And he spoke, or at least got to be in the presence of the creator on their behalf. So the first thing the writer wants to tell you is Jesus is better than your priest. Jesus is better than the top person in your life. Church or not church, whoever you look up to, Jesus is better than them. Here's a problem today, and this is probably why it still doesn't suffice, because you think, well, I don't have a high priest today. In 2019, you may have a pastor, but I haven't been down to the Holies of Holies recently, and I'm certainly, I bath, (laughs) but I haven't gone through the rituals that they've gone through. I'm not the high priest. So who's the high priest in our society? Who's the high priest in our lives? Who's the high priest in burly heads Community in Varsity, in Eleonora, in Queensland. Who's the high priest there? Because we understand this, we understand how to deliver this to them. We understand what they're craving, what they need. Who is their high priest? Who do they put their trust into? Well, it's actually changed. And I want to explain that today. It's actually shifted. There was a time, the Enlightenment or whatever you want to... There was a time that the experts were our high priests. The scientists. Anything of science just would say on the news, that was fact, right? The Pope is a great religious icon. Politicians, university lecturers, university, those with hundreds of degrees, were our experts. That's who we went to. And of course, at least for my parents' age, it was Ray Martin. Current affair. Some of you are like, who is that dude and why does his hair look like it's a Lego, one of the Lego hair things? He was the man that would deliver the truth to you, the face you could trust. Here's the thing, and I spoke about this, but it's important to understand. Turns out a ton of scientific studies done in certain times were paid for by corporations. So read into the Gatorade whole Gatorade thing where they started saying Gatorade does better for your body than water. 
Look how much money Gatorade gave for them to find that result. I'm not saying we don't trust them. I'm saying suddenly the next generation said, nah, we'll just keep going. We'll stay on that slide. Sorry, Miriam. You're right. The Pope, don't have to go into there. We know the Catholic Church and church's issues all there, but it turns out we don't trust them. Politicians, I don't have to go that far in there. We don't trust them. So uni lecturers, it turns out that a lot of universities just follow the philosophy of the time. And so it turns out they weren't to be trusted, or fully. I'm not saying we can't trust them at all, fully. And it turns out this guy is sponsored by, like, Coles or Woolies, and that's why whoever he's sponsored on, they just smash the other guy, and that's why it's constant. There's new sales on Coles. Find out how to save heaps on Coles. You ask anyone under 40, dare I say, I think you're going to come close to 100% of them haven't seen an episode of Current Affair or the news unless it's ABC, in a long time, because they just know it's rubbish. It's entertainment now. We don't trust it. I don't trust it. I would go online and look up something else that I trust to get my news. Not knocking you if you do that, but there's been a shift, right? Because that was like 6.30 at night, a current affair was on. That's how we get what's going on in the world. Tell us, Ray. We sit at your feet, high priest of our generation. Okay, next one. So then we went on to influencers. We said... We don't want expertise. We want to see them live it and do it, and then we'll listen to them. And we're still kind of in there a little bit, but we're transitioning out. You have Steve Jobs, created Apple. We're like, here's a dude that knows stuff but can do stuff. So we'll follow you, Steve Jobs. We'll all buy the same polo so we don't have to make that choice in the morning of what we wear. I have seriously considered that because I was a disciple of that era. Um, I considered buying the same shirt, so that was one less decision I had to make in the morning because Steve Jobs did it. So you can laugh at me. Please laugh at me. Um, I'm still considering it. Um, so you can even laugh at me there because I'm influenced by this. This was my generation. We had our sporting greats that didn't just talk about it, but endurance, just focused. Jordan Peterson is a current one. Let me tell you something. You may not know who Jordan Peterson is. Jordan Peterson, a psychologist, he recently did a video online. We need to understand this church if we're missionaries, right? He recently did a video online where he explains Noah's Ark and the symbolism of Noah's Ark. He doesn't do it as a Christian. He won't actually admit if he has a faith or not, but he talks about the powerful story of the Bible. 40 million and counting hits, and most of them are young adult men. He speaks for nearly 50, 40 to 50 minutes. We get told by the experts of our time that people don't listen for 15 minutes, especially young adult men. Somehow, he's talking about Noah's Ark for 40, 50 minutes and getting 40 million of them. Says something about the influential culture, that our experts, our high priests, and then the project, the new news, news done differently. I wonder how many of them are comedians and how many of them have journalist degrees. I know Carrie is on the radio and she's very funny, so I suspect she's a comedian first and journalist second. That's our new news. But even that's changed. Get Rove McManus, the guy that owns the project, recently released a night show. My generation didn't even know he released it. It went for two nights. Did anyone know he even put on a show? This is the guy that Rove Live, everyone used to watch. He invented the project. Apparently he launched a show and it lost ratings to Bluey on ABC that night. Kids show that gets constantly played again and again. I understand Bluey is a great show. But a kids show on ABC beat Rove's new talk show. Two nights, it's been cancelled. Society has changed yet again. 
So our third one, who are we listening to? Who is Burley Heads, high priest in today's society? Go to the next one pretty please, Miriam. There was a tragedy down at uh, Frascott Park in Varsity. I didn't know if you heard about it. There was a stabbing. Um, I don't want to get into that too much, even though I brought it up. But how did I find out about it? I went to the Varsity Community Facebook group and I saw it here. This is a post that has 109 reactions, likes or surprise face or disappointment, 240 comments and three people have shared it. Opinions. 240 people have voiced their opinion on this issue of this stabbing and our neighbourhood and safety. That was a great example, but I must admit um, it's one of the toxic groups I've ever been in, the way they speak to each other. These are parents living in varsity is like horrible, but nevertheless, it's all opinion. That's how I found out about it. It wasn't from Ray, wasn't from the project, wasn't from any of that. It was from my Facebook group. What does that say? It says, our world has said, we're done with the experts. We're semi-done with the influencers. We'll do it ourselves. None of that worked. None of that worked. We'll do it ourselves. I'll just make it my opinion. That's what's gospel. It's me. It's what I think. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to control it. It's going to be what I say. We'll find our own truth. We'll take fate into our own hands. I'm going to make this happen. We'll access that holy place. We'll worship our opinion, celebrate our opinion. Church, nothing is wrong with experts, influencers or opinions in theory. However, we've become our own high priest. It says this in 4.14.5 to 10. For every high priest chosen from among men is anointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices. What I said, that's what the high priest did in Exodus times. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward because he himself is beset with weakness. Here's the problem with the expert, influencer and do-it-yourself mentality. You are beset with weakness. You will fail. It's a good leadership lesson to deal with each other gently because we're all sinners, we're all broken. And so no matter what the world thinks, no matter who they're putting their trust into, it will fail them at some stage. It's said in the Bible, and do you know what? Our entire history leans towards showing us that everyone stuffs up, everyone's imperfect. You can't fully trust anyone. The priests at that time were human. They had backup plans. They had this system where they'd put a rope. Do you heard about this? They'd put a rope on their foot. So when they walked into Holy Holies, if they hadn't washed themselves correctly, the idea was God would struck them down and they'd have to be pulled out by the rope. So the backup plan, even their high priest, could have been a failure. There's no recorded history of that ever happening in the Bible. It was a precaution. I find that interesting that God never did at least recorded strike them down. Um, but he may have, but it's not recorded, but they had a precaution because they knew even their high priest, even their influencer, even their celebrity, even their news reporter wasn't perfect. So how many young people now go, I'm going to go to Europe to find myself. There's nothing going to Europe. But all they find is a more poor, 
version, because they've got no money, of themselves. They find, oh, I was still there. I shared this a couple of weeks ago. I went over to Canada in a rock band to find myself. It was fun. Got to go with Dave, who was on drums today. But guess who I found? Just a smellier, more poor, more destructive Steve Gray. I reached pretty deep down and I was still there. The painful truth is leaders in the church, every church has failed as well. Hopefully we won't fail massively, but we're going to fail at times. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, even the priests. So here's the challenge this morning. I believe we're standing. I truly believe this. This is not... I'm conservative upbringing, so I don't use words like prophetic or prophecy. But I truly believe if I read the culture of the time correctly, I believe we're on a turning point for culture. That's what my read of it anyway. I believe the world is done with the experts. I believe they're done with the influencers. And I believe they're nearly there where they're done with themselves. They're like, this isn't working. The moment they went, stuff the politicians, we'll elect Trump. Because <laughs> we at least know he's a man of the people. And now they're starting to see that maybe even the man of the people isn't working. Whatever your view, is not a pol- political debate today. Once they realise their own narrative is failing, who will they turn to then? Once they have squeezed out to like the Genesis story where the snake says, we've just made full circle, this isn't new. What's the lie that the snake says to the people? You could become like God. Here we are, full circle, 2019, and burly heads, the wider society, even us sometimes, we believe we're God, we try to be God, and it's failing miserably. We're on the edge here as missionaries where they've got nowhere else to turn. And history shows us that they turn back to God. I don't know if that's for my generation. I don't know if that's for Josh's. I don't know if that's for Aria's. But I believe there will become a pendulum swing. There's this beautiful picture of uh, Melbourne City Hall <laughs> only a couple of hundred years ago or less than. I think it's only a hundred years ago. And it's filled to the brim on a prayer night a church is holding. That's what it looks like for people to go, we we got nowhere else to turn. We're coming back to God. Are we ready for that, church? Are we in a place, church, where we trust God fully, where we're not our own gods, where we surrender to him, where we have a heart of worship? Because we're going to have to lead those people. We have to show them, bring them back in and say, let me introduce you to the only absolute truth in Jesus. Are we ready for that? That's what a meaty church needs to be ready for. In Hebrews 4, 14, 5, 10. Let me just read the ends of those passages and give you three reasons today why I want you to consider putting your trust into Jesus or why I want to consider laying down some stuff and moving more into that, moving more into meat territory. Hebrews 4, 14, 5, 10. Let me read. For we do not have a high priest. So this is about Jesus. Who is un- so if you're not sure today, if you don't know Jesus, if you know Jesus, wherever you sit on the milk-to-meat scale, at least consider this. What harm would it do to at least consider growing deeper, leaning more, surrendering more? Hebrews 4, 14, 5 to 10. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then have confidence, confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. You don't go near God's throne unless you have some serious confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, this is words about Jesus, today I've begotten you, as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We're going to come and explore that word. We haven't forgot about that. It's a sermon that's coming. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. That he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and was made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest. Three points of confidence, super fast. Here's what the writer says. If you're not sure of Jesus, I'm asking you to consider him today because I think, what else have you got? What else is working for you? Tell me. If it's better, man, I, I want to know. Don't you want to know if there's actually something better? I do. There's not. Good luck. There hasn't been for the last 2,000 years and before that. Jesus offers a true truth. That's what it says firstly. Jesus offers an absolute truth in his ways, in the way he lived, found in the Bible and in his spirit. A true truth. Number one. This is why you can trust him. Number two, Jesus knows what it's like to be you. Jesus knows what it's like to be you. He's not this guy. <laughs> I'm not knocking lots of politicians today. But one of the biggest things they knocked him about is he wasn't a man of the people. He was a well-educated, private school, rich kid, and like, he doesn't know what it's like to be us. If you liked him, it doesn't matter. I, that's not the point. The point is, his biggest criticism, he doesn't know what it's like to be the little person. Well, Jesus does. Jesus was hurt. He's put in a stable. He knows rejection. He knows temptation. He overcame it, but he knows what it's like. He was rejected by his friends. He was spat on. He died. He knows exactly what it's like to be in the mess that you're in right now or hiding very well on this Sunday morning. He knows. He knows what it's like to be you. You can trust him. And lastly, it says Jesus has the keys to the kingdom. He's the author of salvation. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. He became the source of eternal salvation. Jesus isn't the bid on the house you hope you're going to get. Jesus isn't a smart move this morning you make that you hope will enhance your career. Jesus isn't the guy you say, well, just do your best, mate. Or the person who you say you kind of, Hope he has some pull in this situation. He's been giving, given the keys to the kingdom. He's a sure thing. He has the Father's ear. He approaches the throne of grace. He's not a gamble at all. He is the absolute truth way to salvation and to the kingdom now and forever. Jesus is better than everything. So what does it look like as we finish up? What can we do practically? 
Well, to use an overused example that I've heard probably way too many times, there's this story, um, and I'm going to pronounce the name wrong, so I reckon James will help me out here, but Captain Hernan Courts out of the nine, uh, 1519? Cortez. Cortez. I knew you'd be able to help me out with that one. Thank you. He began this fantastic con- conquest um, back in 1519, and he landed on this beach to begin this conquest of these nations or taking over or going forward. And he said to the people, and I love this analogy. It's probably why it's overused a bit, but I love it. He says, burn the boats. <laughs> burn the boats. One guy says, one report says one guy said, no, no, we need to get back, and he got a sword through him. <laughs> so they said, <laughs> guess what? None of them asked to question him again. But he said, burn the boats, as if to say, there is no plan B now. There is no going back. It's going forward. Burn your backup plan. Burn your other high priests. There's only one way forward. Jesus says something way less nicer, but the same thing when he sends out the 72 in Mark 10. He says, pack lightly. Take only what's on you. As if to say, don't take your extra fourth savings account with you. That's plan B. (laughs) Take what's in your pockets and head out with me because I'm everything you need. Burn the backup plan, burn plan B, burn plan C, burn plan D, whatever it is for you. And let's move forward into Jesus, 100% trusting him. So I'm asking you this morning, because some of you are like, Steve, I'm not burning every boat, I'm just exploring who Jesus is. And others of you have said, yeah, do you know what, I have a couple of boats in a dock, maybe it's time to set them on fire. (laughs) That's the spectrum here. Here's the question for us this week, for your small groups, for your discussions over coffee. Here's your question. What boat can you burn in pursuit of Jesus? For some of you, it's just one. I want to burn the boat of early morning sleep and I'm going to get up and start my day with God and I'm going to explore this thing. That might be some of you. I'm just going to explore this. I'm going to wake up and ask him to fill my day and I'm going to see what happens. Other of you are going, look, I trust Jesus, 100, 99.999 reoccurring percent. But he's not touching that boat. This miracle month. To be the church that's ready for what's outside, to be the church that is just fully in love and in trust and committed to the absolute truth that is Jesus. What, burn, what boat do you need to burn? What do you need to let go of in order to surrender to him fully? That's my challenge this morning. That's my challenge for this month, for Miracle Month yet again. Is we consider money, yeah, we consider money, but most importantly, we consider a heart that is surrendered to Jesus, that is exploring Jesus, that is heading to somewhere that we may have never seen before. Are we ready to lead the people that are lost and finished with their high priest and saying, show me something true. Show me what my bones cry out to. Are we in a position, church, to show them that? Let's pray. And I'm going to ask the band to come up. Father, as the... the Ben comes up. Such a wide, such a non-specific thing to say, burn the boats, Lord. So I pray that 
you don't require me as the pastor to tell people what boats they burn. We require your spirit right now.